Ooh, that was a good one. It yeah. like gets better every time you do it. Every time, man. Surprise! <laughs> Belated birthday present. This dude's been grinding since day one. Yeah, and it's something like, who are these dipshits? Exactly. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Grinding Gain Show, episode two. We got a great show for you today, folks. Hey, before we get started, Andrew, I got a quick question for you, buddy. Shoot. Who is your favorite Olympic decathlete? Hands down, it's Solomon Simmons. Guy's a beast. Wait till you hear what he has to go through day in and day out to chase his goals. He's got a great mindset on life. Works from gratitude. No doubt, Solomon Simmons. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Without further ado, let's get into it. Solomon Simmons, top U.S. decathlete. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the show, man. Can we start? Just give our audience an idea of what your daily life is like since you're training for the Olympics, working a full-time job. What's that daily regimen like? Yeah, yeah. yeah what is that grind? Uh, the grind, man, um, it's kind of multifaceted. But first off, let me start off by just saying thank you, man. I'm, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, so... The way my life is set up, I basically took the past almost three and a half years now, right? Because we're closing in on the Olympic year. And it was like, I'm going all in and orienting my schedule, orienting my life to be actually able to compete and make the games. Um, so it looks very consistently like this morning, for instance, I was up at 4.30, um, head to the gym, get to the gym at 5 a.m., get my lift in, spend the, depending on where we are in the year, normally an hour, hour and a half at the gym. Um, then I try to get out of there, uh, shower, of course, eat some breakfast, um, and I head into the office at 8, 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. where I'm a financial analyst at like one of the most awesome companies you could like have is a, a, a third-party logistics company called Redwood. A uh, ton of fun, ton of fantastic people. Um, and then also, so I'm working from 8 to 4, right? And then about like four o'clock, I'll leave the office, drive out to, because uh, we're in Atlanta, drive out to like Kennesaw area where I practice and train from about five to eight. Um, go home, try to get some food in, have a little bit of a social life and just do it all over again. So let me ask you this. What, what was the point where you were like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm prioritizing everything around my life. I'm going to go for it. What, what was that moment? Yeah. Um, something that's super funny that I don't think a lot of people realize is that just like everybody, people who are elite in their space often have kind of doubts, right? I remember at one point it was my junior year of college or sophomore year of college. And I looked at myself, I was walking out of the locker room and I looked at myself in the mirror and I really didn't want to go out there and practice. Uh, it was my first time really in the cold and I was tired of it. And I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, Solomon, you can walk away and no one's going to care right? Like you can live your own life. Or if you choose to, you're going to walk out on this track and you're going to give it everything you got. So I had one of those moments then. Um, and I kind of had some injuries when I was starting to, uh, to finish my career in college. Um, and I was just kind of done with it. Like I was tired of beating myself up all the time. Um, like I had some pretty bad knee injuries. Uh, and then I kind of had some pretty good success at the end of my career that I was still fine walking away from. Um, and when it came down to it, I was offered a job in North Carolina as a financial analyst, or I was offered a job as a track coach at my alma mater, uh, Eastern Michigan. Um, and a lot of it honestly came down to my faith. Um, I was talking with a mentor of mine and he 
my background, I'm a poor kid from San Diego, basically. Um, not like the nice part of San Diego, like the part you don't want to go to San Diego. <laughs> so yeah, I was at the end of my career and I was offered this job at my alma mater and I was sitting with a mentor and he was like, Hey, he's, I'm going to support you no matter what you do. Uh, but he's like, it seems like you want this job as a financial analyst just to go make money. Right. Um, and the way I orient my life, like it, it's very clear in scripture that you can't love two things, right? You can't love money and love the Lord. So I was like, you're completely right. I know how to be a faithful, uh, faithful athlete. So I'm going to continue to do that in the professional field. So then I went into the coaching route and I was like, Hey, if I'm here, I might as well just keep training, started lifting with my athletes. And then I was having more fun coaching at that time. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go all in and commit the next four years to this. Got some surgeries done and just went all in since then. All right. So I, I, I played college baseball. Johnny played uh, college football at the Citadel and now full circle. I've got kids. I'm, tra I'm coaching baseball. One of the things I really like about coaching that I feel like you kind of comes full circle again is you, you almost learn more by coaching others about how to play the game and, and how to do it the right way. Yeah. What, what did you learn when you went back as a coach that uh, kind of helped push you through that barrier that you were, you know, that roadblock you're about to hit. Oh my gosh, dude. It's so difficult. It is so different coaching versus training. Like I will say it time and time again, coaching is so much more difficult than being just an athlete. Like, because it's one thing to show up and put in the work. It's another thing to care about everybody and to put in like the emotional effort to know everybody. Right. <laughs> and right. There's those kids that you don't want to deal with. You don't want to talk to talk to because they're like crapshoots at times. But once you kind of get past that barrier, there's a lot of joy that you get from seeing other people accomplish their dreams um, and accomplish things that they've been working at for so long. Um, super cool. Like one of my athletes, um, was really one of my best friends in college, right? It was so weird because like I graduated early and I'm, I've been a younger guy. So literally coaching people that I'd known for the past five years that I trained with who were went from being my teammates and my buddies to like, hey, I'm your coach here. And like, you know, it was a little bit different of a dynamic. Um, but seeing like my buddy who was a decathlete transition away from that, I was like, hey, you're having success in pole vault. And hey, you should just become a pole vaulter. Um, this guy, Alex Jacobs, awesome guy. Um, and then it's worked out so well for him in the long run, despite me not being there for the whole process. This guy's like gritted it out. Now he's like one of the best vaulters around. Guy just jumped 17 feet the other day. So I'm really happy for him. Holy so it's shit. great to see other people accomplish <laughs> phenomenal things. So with guys like that, I mean, I know, I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot more that goes into it and in just saying, hey, you should try pole vaulting. And then all of a sudden he's an amazing pole vaulter. What was like more like the philosophy, the day-to-day -day stuff that you kind of helped to instill in him to make him successful. What are some of those things that you coached to these athletes? Yeah, it was kind of funny because a lot of guys I was coaching, man, like I, I flat out did not have as much technological or technological, as much technical um, understanding in that event as they did. Um, sure. So really what I, the way I have trained myself and it's super convenient that now I have a coach who's like, total nerd loves all of the, like, um, the, the biomechanic side of things. Um, but I'm just like, I, I just run into a brick wall. Like I will not, like, you're going to have to bleed to beat me. Um, and I, I, I coach <laughs> that same mentality into other people. I was like, Hey, like, you're just going to have to like go all in like full send all the time. Cause that's just what I, how I train. So like he had that mentality, 
um, of being a technician. And I instilled like, hey, you're going to have to go hard even when you don't feel like you want to. Um, and some people buy limits. In, some people don't, right? Um, but yeah. Where do awesome. you think that came from in you? So I'm very fortunate to be a younger brother. <laughs> um, there you go. My older brother was a phenomenal football player, awesome track athlete, um, and just kicked my butt forever. Just <laughs> no holds bars, whooped my ass all the time. <laughs> and did it, did it um, matter what it was? Like no. playing video games. <laughs> It didn't I matter can, what it was. We, we would I have touch the car contracts. door faster than you. Yes. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always a smaller guy until I got to like kind of the end of high school, like super funny. I was uh, just on six foot and 90 pounds until my sophomore year of high school. Oh. So I was a rail. <laughs> and what do you, what are you now? Uh, I actually just weighed myself this morning. I'm like six, I'm like six, four, six, five, but two Oh seven. Um, solid. So, but my brother would just whoop my butt everywhere (laughs) and it made me extremely competitive. Right. Um, and then he, uh, he was always better than me in these areas. So I just wanted and tried and worked and worked and worked and worked, um, to where like he, he was more naturally gifted, more talented in a lot of areas where I was just like, I'm, I'm willing to stay here for four or five hours to put in the work. You want to be here for one or two, like uh, I'll outwork you. Um, when did you surpass him or did you surpass him? In some stuff, yes. In football, which was our, our sport, we did very similarly. I, I don't think I, I ever did. He was a he has phenomenal hands, crispy route runner, but uh, he actually went on and played some college ball over at uh, Texas State. Um, was a phenomenal wide receiver, had a couple opportunities to play at the league, uh, but kind of just lacked the ultimate speed at the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. So... I kind of surpassed him on the track my junior year of high school. Um, I started triple jumping just randomly. Um, and I, within like overnight, like being from literally not a triple jumper and had like two or three weeks of practice. And then I became like the number, like two or three guy in the country. Um, and everything kind of just changed from there. Dang. So wow. we were talking with um, one of our buddies, Dexter Jackson. He was a former NFL wide receiver. He spent a good amount of time explaining the recruiting process in both college and the pros. Um, what, what's it like, you know, how many people noticed you? When did, when did you start to get noticed in high school? What kind of offers did you have? Did, what options did you have for college? And how did you ultimately end up at Eastern Michigan? Yeah. Well, I feel so fortunate, right? Because, like, football is weird. Basketball is weird. Baseball is weird because it's a team sport, right? Like, you have to send out film. You have to get in, talk to, in contact with the right people. They have to see you play. You kind of have to have the right, like you have to have the right head or um, the right history, right? Which is super annoying. You got to get noticed. Yeah. yeah. You got to market um, yourself. Yeah. And like, though we had a phenomenal football program, we just didn't have the connection. So we weren't sending people off to, you know, the USC's or the Alabama's or the Oregon's, right? Um which was kind of the hindrance because we had some guys that played at that caliber all the time, but like just getting the film out to him, et cetera, et cetera. The coach having the contact because he knows this person and being able to do it. Um, so we didn't have that option. Right. So my brother ended up going the JC route and with a little bit more connection and then went to the, the division one route. And so fortunate that track and field, there's just this one website, which every single college recruiting coach uses called mild split. And it puts up every single high school time in the country 
high school mark in the country. So it literally so like, just comes to the numbers. Your time yeah. is your time. And that's exactly what right. you it's super by. convenient. Like no one's cheating on a hundred meters. No one's cheating right, on a right. long jump, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of, I got recruited a good bit my junior year of high school. Uh, I had a really cool track coach, um, who's really connected in the space. Awesome guy. did a lot of good stuff at UC Irvine himself was an accomplished decathlete. Um, and he was one of the first guys to tell me, Hey, it's not what you know, but who, you know, um, mm -hmm. so he got me out and started just showing me around and got me into the right event areas. Um, and really just kind of like said like, Hey, I got a guy to his college coaches, college coaching buddies, um, and started getting noticed that way. So what about that jump to the, I mean, the U S Olympic team? I mean, is that just a lot of, uh, just showing up at meets and qualifying or are you, is it still kind of, you got to know some people and how does that process work? Yeah, man, I feel so fortunate that it's not, it's the exact same thing, right? If someone's a, if someone's a, you know, a 10 second hundred meter guy, it's like, there's no doubting who they are or what they are. You just mm -hmm. have to run at a, a meet that has fully automatic timing and you have to run that time. That's going to put you within the top 24 in the country. And then you get to go and compete at the Olympic trials. Right. And from there, sure. the top three, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you're the world record holder. It doesn't matter if you're the prior U.S. champion. If they're just taking the top three, barring that you have, like, the actual Olympic standards. You know, that's crazy because, like, like powerlifting in, in the Olympics and all the track and field events are all kind of the way you're describing it, where your, your number is your number. Um, yeah. But if you think about, like, pro athletes, pro baseball players, pro football players, a lot of times – I'm sure there's a million guys that could have had the talent, the work ethic, all the factors to play as, at, at the highest level possible, but maybe didn't yeah. get noticed, didn't know the right people, couldn't make it through the system. Um, so it's super interesting that, you know, the Olympics is kind of the opposite where it's very black and white and there's not a lot of guesswork. Yeah, the best go. Yeah, yeah well, the I think, best go. You know, like – I think they're kind of trying to do that. I mean, you're the baseball guy, but in baseball with all the analytics and like, right. if you don't have the numbers, your launch angle when you're hitting the ball and your spin rate is your pitcher or whatever. Like if you don't have those numbers, they're not signing you. I, I'm pretty sure that's how it's going at the big leagues. Every, I think everybody's trying to work towards that, the black and white approach. To I think it. that's, that's just life period right now. I mean, we see it in business and logistics. Data is king and data is starting yeah. to drive everything. Yeah. Solomon's Funny, a financial uh, analyst, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about data, so I just read this article. Um, shit. My fucking dog just scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> he just stuck his nose right up in there. Um, no, but I, I just I just read this article. Um, it was published in nature magazine. These guys at, at Northwestern, they did a study and used big data to find out what makes people successful. Yeah. And it literally said Super failure is a, it's very interesting. Failure is basically a prerequisite to being successful. Like no matter what you do, you basically have to fail. And then eventually if you make the right adjustments, you know, working hard and all that stuff is great. But if you're not uh, making the right adjustments, making those changes, How those necessary changes, you're never sure. going. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to get there. For sure. Um, so that was really interesting. But I guess kind of leads me into another question. What's some of your biggest failures in this whole process that you've you've gone through? 
Oh, dude. <laughs> Do we need to start another episode? <laughs> we only have so much time, man. Oh, so. man. I fail so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say uh, my biggest failures really started, um, I would say, like, right even in high school. Uh, like, even choosing a college, I feel like I failed at that. Um so the, I ended up going to Eastern mm-hmm. Michigan and signing with them. But the guy, the guy that was recruiting me, he was a bronze medal uh, Olympic de- decathlete, this guy, Chris Huffins, um, very personable, um, like sat me in his office and was like, hey, I know this is one of your small schools, but if you come here, it's going to be me and you for four or five years. And hearing that from a guy like that, I was like, I was pretty much sold, right? I was offered a, yeah. a, 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 basically a full ride at Duke, a full ride at UCLA, a full ride at Texas A&M. Um, and I turned them down to go to Eastern Michigan. <laughs> so, wow. well, there, there's a lot of good things that happen at Eastern Michigan. So it's not completely in a silo, but, um, and, and so I got recruited by him and two or three weeks before I walk on the campus, he gives me a call and says he was offered twice his pay at, I think it was like Oklahoma or something like that. And he can't turn it down. Um, so ended up going there. Um, and I was like, man, well, that sucks. I chose this small school to go for this guy. Let me see if I could get out of it. So I ended up going there. Uh, and then I had my second failure. Uh, I, I was recruited as a decathlete and a triple jumper. Um, and I was triple jumping against this awesome guy. He was actually at the world championships with me. He was my, my teammate. Can you, good friend hey, of mine. so can you real can quick? Cause it's it. No, no, no. It's 10 at it's 10 events. Can you just list the 10 events in the decathlon real quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. The 10 events in the decathlon. Um, so it's a two-day, 10-event, single event, right? So on each of those days, you do five events. So it starts mm-hmm. out with 100, moves to long jump, shot put, high jump, ends with a 400. You go to sleep. You come back the next day. You open up in the morning with 110 hurdles. Then you move to discus, pole vault, javelin, and then you end with a 1500. Boom. Okay, cool. Just want yeah. to, I'm sure people know what a decathlon is, but I wanted to get specific. All right. So go back to your, your triple jump. You recruited for the decathlon and the triple jump. Yeah. So the triple jump and I was at I was jumping against a guy who was at the world championships with me, but this is when we were little kids. Right. So we weren't those guys. <laughs> um, and like, I was just jumping into the sand and like landed in the sand after a super awesome jump and kind of like tweaked myself as I was coming in. And like my knee was just kind of sore, but it was a good jump. So I just walked it off and acted like a boss, you know? <laughs> um, so we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> Act like it doesn't hurt. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So then like I kept training and noticed like my knee was kind of snagging and catching and doing some weird stuff. Um, had a trainer take a look at it, had to get an MRI on it. Eventually saw that I tore my meniscus. Um, <laughs> And uh, had to get surgery for that. So that took me out my entire freshman year of college. Um, Did you redshirt? Yeah. So okay. I redshirted that year. And like I went to this, I'm sitting at this school where I don't even want to be injured, can't even do anything. And I'm like, yo, I need to transfer. Without um, the coach that recruited you there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, hey, I need to transfer. Um, and I was like, you know what? What am I going to transfer on? I'm banged up. I'm going to go back for another year. Um, and like the coaching was so wishy-washy. So it was actually fantastic that I missed that year. Um, 
one thing that you also got to be, if you're going to fail, you have to be an optimist, right? <laughs> you have to fail and enjoy failure and find a way to pivot. <laughs> right. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I came back the following year and I ended up getting this coach that was a shot put coach as my coach. And I was like, man, what is this guy going to be able to do for me? Talked with the guy and I was like, okay, he's an okay guy. Ended up becoming like one of the most awesome guys in my life. Like we're still buddies to, to this day. I'm getting married another month and a half and he's going to be at the wedding, him and his wife. They're fantastic. That's awesome, man. Um, and he just was like, hey, it's going to be me and you for this other four years. Let's figure it out together. I had a great training partner, this guy, Levi Selvig. Um, and we just went after it. He's a smart guy and he's like, I'm willing to figure out what it takes. I was just willing to learn. Um, and of course we had our ups and downs, like doing too much stuff in the weight room, jacked up my knees, failure. Um, then jumping off of the opposite leg just to make it work when I should have actually taken the time to heal up, failure. Um, no hiding in some very mm -hmm. critical meets, failure. Um, yeah, failed all over the place. Failed myself. Uh, actually, that job I had at Eastern, I got fired from ultimately um, because I was having two jobs. You so, mean because you were failed. training and coaching or? No, no, no. I literally literal got two jobs. Literal two jobs. I was coaching and I was selling track and field equipment uh, through this company. And oh, they're like, you. hey, it's a conflict of interest. So it's fired, failure. Um, yeah, I've sucked all over the place, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me with, with my kids, I, I think it's such a huge lesson to learn. And the, the earlier you, you learn it, I, the new term in the parent world is helicopter parents. And you see those, like, um, I can't remember the name, the celebrity ladies who paid, paid off, you know, so their kids could go to oh, USC. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stanford. Yeah. And it's like, what, that's not real world. Like you, you've got to prepare them for the real world. And so like my oldest, we switched to a new travel ball program, six, four, three baseball here in Marietta. And he didn't make one of the top three teams. He made a team, but it wasn't, you know, what he was hoping. And he was a little beat down about it, but now what he, he's got a chip on his shoulder. They six, four, three gives you the ability. You can go to any practice. So he can go to his age group. He can go to 15, 16, 17s. And, and he goes damn near every single day. So you're seeing <laughs> what failure did to him and how he's responding. Now, granted, part of it is like, Hey, uh, you have baseball, no matter whether you like it or not today, but <laughs> he's still going there with a the chip on his shoulder and wanting to work hard and outwork everybody else. So like, yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest lessons I think you have to teach your kids from early on is that you can't have success without failure. And that's honestly, Johnny and I, when we started talking about the show, like that's one of the biggest themes is that's life and how you handle it, how you respond, how you adapt is kind of who, how it defines you. This whole thing makes me think of a quote by Ben Hogan. He says like, I feel sorry for rich kids because they're never going to have the opportunity that I had. Ben Hogan was a poor guy growing up. He's like, he said something like, I had a tough day all my life and these kids are never going to know what a tough day is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So Solomon, you, you had a bunch of offers. You, you feel like looking back, you, you might regret your decision you know, given <laughs> it is what it is. It, everything that's happened led you to where you're at now. Um, what was the transition? And it's too like? late to change it, right? <laughs> 
So right. Cares? Yeah. So like, yeah. What's the point? But what's the, what was the transition like out of college? What, you know, I, I know you're working two jobs. What happened after uh, Eastern Michigan let you go? What'd you, what'd you look in the mirror and decide to do next? At that time, uh, it was super weird for a ton of reasons. Um, so I got let go on 9-11 of 2018. No, 2017 was when I got fired. Okay. Um, and the plan was to move down to Atlanta at the end of that year either way to be able to uh, like be near the current coach. Um, mm-hmm. So at first I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to stay up here and work for a year um, and figure out what to do. Um, and it was super weird because it was like, it was September in Michigan is where I was, which wasn't bad, right? The weather's still okay. Um, but then not really having access to the place I used to train at being Eastern Michigan. So I basically lost that as my training facility. Um, and then having to train outside was okay for a month or two, but it got cold. Um, so that was super frustrating to have to deal with that as a, as a post-collegiate trying to figure out how to train, how to travel, how to do all these things especially when I can't get into this place where I've trained and have all these facility records and school records at because of this thing that happened post de facto. Um, So I started training outside, would jump around to local tracks and things like that. Had some really good friends in the area that used Eastern Michigan, uh, Eastern Michigan's track, which is like one of the only indoor facilities in the States, right? I think there's only two or three of them. So it's like super critical that when it's cold, that you're at one of these places. Um, that he would go there with his, uh, with Concordia, who was a NAI school nearby early in the morning. So I would like tack on with them to be able to train there once it got really cold. Um, Mm -hmm. and honestly, man, I was just doing a ton of babysitting. There was like a little daycare clinic nearby where I was listed as like a coach and I would like watch kids design a little bit of athletic training program and just get by. Um, and that was, it was frustrating. (laughs) I remember times I was literally throwing shot put off of my patio because it was nowhere else where there was a a dry slack of, uh, of cement where I could throw off of like my shot put was getting frozen. Um, damn. And it was, it was tough. I remember I was throwing like a jab ball into the garage that we had rented to put like our spare stuff. And, I was throwing it at the garage and like I was knocking side panels off. Neighbors were complaining and I was like, yo, this is, this is what <laughs> it freaking looks like. <laughs> um, so it was, I was like just grinding, man. Um, you get so then it I in where you can and how you, yeah. however you can. It was cold. <laughs> so, and then I was talking with a mentor and he was like, hey, you think about going down to Atlanta earlier? And I, I literally have no idea how I never thought of that. So it was like, November. And I was like, yeah, let me pivot and figure out how to get down to Atlanta sooner. Um, so then I moved down to Atlanta in February, um, of that, of 2017. I think I'm getting my, my years mixed up. Sorry. Yeah. I got, I got fired in 20, yeah, 2017. I moved down here in 2018. Um, hold on. No, that's wrong. Yeah. 2017. I moved down to Atlanta. No, we're at the back end of 2019. Yep, 2018. Holy shit. It takes me takes 20 years to figure out the dates. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Move down to Atlanta, 2018. 
and then just started training. Uh, lived up in Sandy Springs and just started grinding and had a really successful end of my first year. Um, there's like a big pivotal marks as a decathlete to get over. Um, and one of them is being 7, 000, a 7,000 point decathlete. Um, and another one is being an 8,000 point decathlete. And there's only been, I think it's like 51 people in US history to get over 8,000 points. And I, I was number 51. Oh, sorry, there's been more now. Number 52 was my good buddy, Scott. So I think there's like now like 50, maybe 53 people ever in history to have done it. Um, and then kind of that next caliber is 9,000 points, which only three people in the world have ever done. Oh, cool. So, so all right, Solomon, we've talked about it a lot lately. Uh, we watch, we both kind of randomly watched the Game Changers and Johnny actually just watched it recently too on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> After watching the Game Changers, which is a hour and a half long documentary on plant-based diets and the effects it has on high level athletes shameless plug man waiting for game changers to send some money to this podcast right no shit (laughs) seriously uh but what what did you take away from it and then what changes did you make instantly yeah so game changers phenomenal movie Uh, i watched that movie and was just like my jaw dropped on what meat can do can do to the body and like though it was like Right. It's just one Netflix documentary, like the way it like changed my perspective on food and what you could should consume and why you should consume it. Um, so I completely I watched a movie with my fiance and my jaw was like dropped the entire movie. The movie finished. I looked at her and I was like, I'm in. I'm going plant based. I'm done. <laughs> We're throwing away all um, this fucking sausage. <laughs> but Clean out the fridge, honey. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm. I was raised super granola. Um, like I remember having my first piece of meat in like, I think it was like eighth grade. And mm. I remember having my first steak as a junior in high school. So Dang. like, I, I, it wasn't, it's not, it's never been difficult for me to get up or to give it up. Like I talked to my dad after and he was like, man, I'm so glad to see that you're getting back to your roots. Um, was that something that he was trying to instill in you? Was that something he practiced back then? Dude, my 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 dad is such a hippie. <laughs> uh, he's yeah, he's he's always been extremely in tune with his body and doesn't want to do anything processed. Um, he honestly tries to even like operate with like a Eastern style of medicine. Like he wants to go to a holistic doctor before he's gonna like take any pills or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes to his detriment, right? Like just go get some antibiotics, dude. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's, he's always done it and wanted me and my brothers to get all back there. Um, though he's not a good vegetarian or vegan or plant-based, whatever terminology you want to use, like he'll still have chicken with us. And like, if there's a good looking steak, he'll have some and whatnot, but, uh, definitely, um, extremely health conscious. I think that's where I'm going to head. I, I read this book. It's called like flexitarian. Mm-hmm. And so you're like primarily vegan or vegetarian, but you can flex off, eat a piece of chicken, eat a steak every like <laughs> when it's convenient, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not, I mean, not that just when you, when you're out and about in, you know, celebration, maybe I was talking but to Solomon. I mean, if- <laughs> and I was like, so you're going to go full plant-based. He goes, yeah, I'm going to do it. But like, if I'm at somebody's, 
house and they're cooking out steaks, I'm not going to be like, no, thanks, man. I brought my own plant-based burgers. (laughs) (laughs) Pull out your Tupperware. (laughs) Throw on some seared tofu. (laughs) Throw these these Tempa burgers on the grill for me. (laughs) Right, because like you always meet those people who are like, oh, I'm vegan. I can't eat that. And it's like, oh. All right. Like, you're such you're a bummer like, right now. Yeah. Not only you're a bummer, but I feel like you're looking down on me. So like, screw you. <laughs> and like, we have a, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, I just never want to be that guy. So I want to be flexible. And plus, dude, I realize that at like plant-based diet, like basically they're trying to make a product that is as like meat as possible. So it tastes freaking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> so like everyone's trying to eat meat without eating meat. So like, I, I, I just let myself, okay, like I, I'm, I'm limiting what I'm doing. I'm changing what I'm doing, hopefully to increase athletic output. Um, but like, it's not the end of the world to me to have some chicken, you know? Right. With, with that, you know, being an athlete, you know, you always hear about everybody and th- that documentary touches on it, but getting your protein through the plant-based diet, what are, what are some of the things that you do to make sure you're getting enough protein and maintaining that high caloric intake for an athlete such as like, an, I mean, just an Olympic athlete like you are? Yeah. So I would say part of my problem is like, as I've gotten older, because I've always was that skinny kid, right? 90 pounds at six foot. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't have to monitor anything that I ate. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to eat this because it's in front of me. Oh, cool. I'm going to eat that because it looks good. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of, as I've, as I've gotten older, I've always wanted to figure out how to get my fight weight, my competition weight, like under 200 pounds. Um, and I haven't been able to figure it out. Like I, I, I eat clean. I eat healthy right? Like I'm, I'm never someone to eat fried, fried foods. I'm never someone that like eats sweets. Um, like to me, a sweet is like a peach. I love my fruits. Um, sure. So like taking that portion of it, but then also like, I, I'm not an expert at this area in this area. So like I I've been doing this now for maybe a month and a half. So don't take my words as, as bond. Um, like, I think that this is going to be something that's going to help me get my fight weight down. Um, and then also provide the energy that I need throughout the day. Um, like it's super difficult and super annoying to have to eat so many times a day to stay full. Like I would normally feel, but your energy is higher. Your output is higher. Um, I, you're experiencing those, that stuff right now, as you've transitioned to the plant base, you're, you're feeling your energy, energy levels up. Yeah. Like my energy levels fills up. I feel like I am getting a better regimen throughout my day to where it's like, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm waking up at 5 a.m., but I'm not having that like one or two o'clock slump. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm not spending so much energy on digestion. Um, I'm still waiting for that like aha moment like that guy had in Game Changers where I'm just on the battle ropes for an hour straight. Hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't say I have that yet, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> have definitely noticed a change in like how I'm feeling. So I've been doing this now for like, as I said, like a month and a half. And there have been instances where I've like, I was out on travel, I was out traveling and I had meat and I definitely noticed a difference in how my body feels. Really? Yeah. Like instantly? Like just the, like the feeling of my stomach, right? Like it's not that I get in knots, but I like, I, I, I actually feel like the, the heaviness of my stomach and like working the digestion 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, right. Like, uh, just the, like the number of times I'm going to the bathroom decreases with me as opposed to like having all these fruits and vegetables flowing through your body, you know? Well, pumping you. Yeah. Pumping it out. In, yeah. <laughs> in and out. Got to drop the deuces, man. <laughs> <laughs> what about yeah. before a track, like before your decathlon, like, is that, do you take a pregame dump? Because that, <laughs> that was like one of the rituals for baseball. Dude, I pregame dump strong. <laughs> I don't know what it is about a decathlon, but like, it's like just completely nervous poop. <laughs> consistently like i gotta go like two or three times in the morning before starting the meet it's crazy yeah <laughs> wow you gotta be light on your toes man i know get that pole vault man <laughs> gotta get out <laughs> oh geez so um hey i got a, i got a question for you you know um kind of transitioning away from the food a little bit but for young aspiring Olympic athletes or just athletes in general, um, you know, what, what do you, th- what would you recommend someone focus on to just improve as much as possible to, to reach their goals? I would, I would honestly say the place where I've gotten the most success from is working from gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that like, the reason why I'm sitting in Atlanta working the job I'm working, able to achieve the things I'm able to achieve is 95% not because of something I've done. Um, because one, genetics, right? I had nothing to do with my genetics. Right. Um, two, intelligence, which is a part of genetics. I had nothing to do with that, right? Um, and like I, I am a, I'm sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in because of the generational effort that my family has put in ultimately to, to put me where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm extremely grateful from, for where I am, from where I've been. Um, and like, so excited for just what life brings in terms of obstacles. And I've never been someone to shy away from a challenge. Um, I absolutely love the, like, I, I personally don't feel that I was ever an athletic person. Um, like, I feel like I was just extremely diligent and hardworking. Um, Mm -hmm. that when like in high school, right, this is something my brother started in being a little brother. I follow suit. I followed suit. My brother and I, we would wake up at 5am and go lift, uh, come back. We'd go to, to high school, um, where we'd have like a midday lift as well. Then we would go to football practice and then we would go to the gym again. Like we were just animals. Uh, but that's because my brother was like, I want to be an NFL athlete. And I think this is what it takes. And I was like, I want to compete with my big brother. Right. <laughs> sure. um, and it really started because that same, my, my dad, right. He's who's super hippie and like in, into health. Um, like he had my brother and I, when we were, I think when I was as young as three years old, I can remember it. He would wake us up at three or 4 AM for man for manhood training where we would sit, we would meditate, we would uh, like do little workouts, push-ups, sit-ups, and just envision what we wanted ourselves to look like and what we wanted our lives to look like. And that was a huge, uh, huge benefit for me in terms of like having a, not only like a high, um, a high internal locus of control, where like I look at nothing in life that happens to me, everything in life happens because of me. Mm-hmm. And then two, um, just taught me what it looked like to grind. Um, he's a phenomenal worker, 
um, willing to do whatever it takes to, to survive and to win. So it's up a strong foundation and of, of really consistent habits really early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really yeah, cool. I've never heard, grateful. I've never heard of that before people, the manhood training. That is awesome. Yeah. I need that's a man. fucking, I'm waking my kids up at 3am tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Get your hats but, out of bed. But truly, man, uh, I had a buddy, <laughs> but it was exactly like that. I had a buddy, Brandon Zirup, uh, the Zirups, there were three brothers and I don't know what happened with the sister because she was younger. Um, three brothers, all of them wrestled in college at the national level. All three of them were valedictorians at their uh, high school, um, like extremely high achievers and extremely humble about it. I didn't even know it until I was like best friends with them for like two years. That I knew all this stuff. And their dad did the exact same thing with them. He'd wake them up, manhood training, like meditation, like we're doing some workouts and like they hated it, but they are so grateful for what they went through, you know? Um, so do you want me to answer, ask? I have just a couple like quick questions yeah, yeah. that I feel like are good just to get your idea of what success is. So one of them was like, name like the first three people that come to mind um, when you hear the word success, mm. oh man, on like a personal level or like a like just just any level, level, just overall. I mean, if to it's you, yeah, you know, to you, if it's more important than on a personal level, um, yeah, rank them high. Oh man, uh, is is it like too cliche to start with Jesus? No, no, man. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> so yeah, number one is Jesus, right? Um, that guy came and crushed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I would say one that really stands out uh, right now is Nelson Mandela. Um, what that man was able to accomplish in his life, despite everything that he's went through was insane, right? Not on an athletic level. Um, sure. Just as a person as what he stood for values, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would say two, I'm like, I'm like debating if I want to stay like on this, like civil rights, uh, little bout. Go like, go like two A or two B or if you need a couple (laughs) of them. Um, I would say really at an extremely personal level was my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, Earl Simmons, he was the first black doctor in his ward in New York. Oh, wow. Um, Wow. Yeah, that guy, what that guy did in like the era of, uh, in like the oppression era is insane. Um, Was a a black doctor. He was a concert level opera singer. He was a golden gloves boxer. He swam at an Olympic level despite not being allowed to swim. Damn. Um, And as well, he wrote, he wrote like some odd, like 20 books of poetry. Um, Can we get this guy on the show? (laughs) right <laughs> that's amazing I wish, I wish man he yeah he passed back in 2009 um but unbelievable he was a decathlete that, in man. his own his own right yeah he was <laughs> like his his term, yeah his terminology was that he wants to live life like a renaissance man that's cool um yeah so that's something that my brother and i have always strived to do did you know um, that dmx's real name is earl simmons too I do. It makes me upset every time I look for my uncle. It just brings up DMX. Yeah, every month for my grandfather. It just brings up DMX. 
my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, who's my number three? John Carlos. John Carlos. He was the, the famous 1968 Olympian who, after winning, uh, I believe it was the long jump, like threw up the, the, the raised fist. The so phenomenal book. athlete. Is, yep. Yeah. On the podium. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a, a, athletic accomplishment isn't huge to me because, right, like so little of that is something that you actually like work, work, work for. It's more so like what you use that stage to do, you know? So how do you feel about like, all right, because it's two-way. You're representing a country, but you also are representing, you know, a race to, to speak. Like what what goes through your mind? And we, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole if you don't want to, but what goes through your mind when guys are kneeling during the national anthem? How does that make you feel considering there's also people out there giving up their and sacrificing their lives to protect yeah. this country so that we can all come to work and train and do all the things that we like to do in, a, in the United States. What's, yeah. what's your take on that? Uh, one super touchy, right. For most people to talk about, and I, I I'm all in. Okay. Um, so definitely able to talk about it. Um, so the decathlon is a very primarily, um, I don't want to say like in the U S it's primarily a, I'll say a white event. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like a big deal because this year, the guy that beat me at the U S championship, this guy, Devin Williams, uh, and then I was number two, like we roomed together at the world championships and we were just talking about it. And we were like, man, it's pretty crazy that like, I don't know if this has ever been done, but like number one was a black guy and number two was a black guy at the U S championships in the decathlon. And we like kind of just talked about that for a minute. We're just like, like really impressed by that. Um, so it's definitely something that we take note of. And I take note of as an athlete, um, but more specifically on like the kneeling side of everything. Um, I think it's touchy because most people look at it immediately and just think disrespect. Right. Right. They see like, oh, no, I fought for this country. I did this. I did that. That's disrespectful to me. And it's like, yes, it is disrespectful. But most people just leave it there and they don't go a step deeper and ask the why. Right. Right. Like if someone mm-hmm. is pissed off at you, cussing you out, like that really should be a second rather than getting like wound up that someone steps back and is like, OK, what's going on here? Like there, there's a deeper why here that I'm not seeing. Right. If you don't, you, you know, it's two sides. So, yeah. Yeah. The deeper why is that like. One, people are leveraging their position to say, hey, there's something going on here. And that something going on is still the social and um, societal and uh, systematic injustices that are occurring, right? That you, like data doesn't lie, that minorities, especially blacks, are being incarcerated at higher rates. Minorities, especially blacks, are being killed by uh, these, these lawful interactions at a higher rate, um, that there are systematic structures in place that are just flat out wrong, mm-hmm. right? About like minor drug possessions and how they ramp up and three strikes you're out, et cetera, et cetera, super predators. Um, how all of those things linked together are derived from the basis point or from an origination point of where racism was still so common. Right. Right. Like uh, so crazy that like I can talk to people who like have absolute love for me 
And they're like, it's just so crazy to me that when we were kids, right, these are the elderly people. They're like, when we were kids, like, yeah, it was just normal that like you drink at that drinking fountain and I that's, drink at this yeah, drinking that's fountain. that's the way it was. You know? And like that is the origin point of the, the, the judicial system uh, and the laws that are currently in place. So it has to that, – that, that's, the, that's the reason for the kneeling, saying like, hey, there's something going on here. There's something wrong and not enough people are paying attention. Not enough people are right. caring. And that's their stage um, and that's their way to voice – Right. Like you said, yeah. that they feel something. You want to, you want to, you have anything else you want to, I mean, I know that's a really, like we could probably have a separate call just for that. Yeah. Um, um, is there anything else you want to make sure it's included on that? It's amazing how much like you can get stuck in your own life where you have like your own regimen, you have your perspective, you have what you are doing and how important it is to you. And that's absolutely true. And it always blows my mind to think that every single person on this planet has the exact same thing. That's a really um, yeah, crazy thing to think about. Yeah. So like it takes a lot of humility and truly a lot of self-sacrifice because who wants to take time out of their day to understand what's going on to first off research this second off, talk to your friends that are like, that are minorities. Form an and opinion. third off, if you, yeah, if, if you don't have any friends that are minorities, boom, that's a problem. <laughs> you know <laughs> um but truly being aware that like you do things and you operate in things that are like an unconscious bias right like it's been physically it's been 100 proven that like you tend to gravitate towards people who look most like you hmm. and like that foundationally is wrong right right you don't approve or disapprove of someone's ability just because of their color you don't tend you don't like someone or dislike someone just because of their color or whatever it may be um and in the same way someone shouldn't be judged more or less harshly on the decisions that they make just because of their color right. um so yeah i absolutely think that like, it's it's so good to go in and be willing to sacrifice yourself to understand someone else's position to have a heart, right. you know? Yeah. We're, we're all on the same planet right now, sharing the same air. Yeah. And although you guys may have a purifier, your air is no better than my air. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't. I, I just breathe in whatever's there. Um, uh, yeah, we have less of it here in Denver, less of good air. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind you can actually breathe <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so all right before we go to the gauntlet and then wrap up what uh so what are your goals going into 2020 i know that's a huge <clears throat> athletic year you're getting married in yeah. january i mean you got a lot of like life uh monumental things coming up what what are your goals how do you take it one day at a time what's your kind of game plan yeah. So once again, foundationally, I'm like super fortunate because I don't stress about too much stuff. Um, so like, yeah, getting married in January. Awesome. Let's do it. And then, yep, got another six months of training before the Olympic Games. Awesome. Let's do it. Um, so the goals for me are to like lay a good, like first and foremost, lay a solid foundation in this time that I have with Lindsay. Mm -hmm. Um uh, it's one, one of the biggest piece of advice is, is like, Hey, the, the first year is like going to set a lot of, um, 
of groundwork about how your relationship is going to go for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Um, so like wanting to lay that foundation well. Um, and then two, uh, I would say is of course make the Olympic team. Um, I've been working at it now for really like eight years dedicated. Like the, I think this is going to be the focus. I think I can't achieve this. Um, so that's, that, I would say that's number two on the list. Um, when do you find out about that? Then, like, how's that process? Where's it at? What stage? So you were, you were mentioning earlier about the whole recruiting process and making the Olympic team. And that's actually something I wanted to mention. So they like actually just changed the bylaws this year in preparation for the Olympic games to kind of put more power into or take more power away from the athletes hands. So it used to be like, Hey, we're sending the top three guys. This is the top three. Let's go. Um, the way it works now, which is stupid, is like they made it a thousand times more difficult. Now, like each track meet you compete in has like a certain score attached to it. And your placing on that score is derived. Or, and then you get like a certain amount of points based off of the time you run. And then also like the, uh, the place that you finish in, you get like a multiplier. So they like made it so much more annoying and difficult to actually be able to make it as opposed to just saying, hey, I have the Olympic standard. I'm going. Right. You know? Um, so, but as it sits, I feel so fortunate, um, because at the time at the, when the Olympic trials comes, uh, I am aside from one person that could do it is the only guy, only Olympian that's still training depends on like where he would compete and all that kind of stuff. Basically uh, what score he would get basically at the Olympic trials in june of 2020 i will be sitting in the best possible spot as an american decathlete to make the olympic team um but still i have to fit like I'll, I'll i'll be as in terms of like the u.s i'll be ranked number one at that point but i'll still have to finish top three with the olympic standard um, right so okay. it sucks to suck that like i won't know that i am for sure a lock for the olympic games right. until I finished the Olympic trials because I could get hurt at any point between now and then. And then I can no height and pole vault at the Olympic trials and it's over. Right. It all comes yeah. down to just executing on the day. Um, so definitely that's a, that's a got to get that done. Right. <laughs> um, and I have, I have like so many goals when it comes like personally, faith wise, professionally, um, but yeah, I would say those, to are, be those are the number two most very self-aware of, you know, not like you don't have tunnel vision on any one thing. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> Which I think is self-aware, well-rounded, yeah. well-rounded. Yeah. It sounds like a decathlete, right? That, yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Case in yeah. You got the clock. I got the clock, man. Solomon's used to, All right. used to shooting off. <laughs> Hearing the bang. All right, ready, set. Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt? Johnson. Free air for, for two. Where are you going? St. Lucia. Ooh. What's your spirit animal? Ooh, Ooh man, that's a good <laughs> freaking question. Clock's a, ticking, man. Freaking silverback gorilla. All right. There you go. All right. What's your favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> The Nightmare Before Christmas. Sriracha, hot sauce, or ketchup? Sriracha. Ooh, okay. What celebrity would you want to punch in the face? 
<laughs> oh man, what's that kid's name from like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? He just has a face you want to punch. I don't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of that movie. <laughs> All right, next question: uh, Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner? Oh, dude, come on. Sensitive Bruce. <laughs> uh, Adidas or Nike? Uh, Nike. Okay. Do you agree with the NBA 2K player rating of Carmelo Anthony at a 76? Carmelo Anthony is trash. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you guys checking us out. That was an awesome episode. Grind and gain. Life stories from winners. Check us out on social media. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Or hit us up at our website, grindandgainshow.com. That's pretty good. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs>